0: We are going to go right into the Word of God because uh, at the end of our sermon, at the end of our message, we're going to have um, some baptisms. You know, the 34 baptisms are split between the two services, so I'm not sure how many we are having uh, this service, but you're going to want to stick around for that and rejoice with those who are about... In fact, I'm just going to coach you right now. We're We're going to dunk them, okay, like being buried with Christ. We do full immersion at our church. If you were sprinkled as a child, that I mean, that's okay. We got, we understand that. But but uh, when when we hear the term baptism, it comes from the word baptizo, which literally means to be submerged, to be dunked. Right. So we're gonna we're gonna uh, put you under the water, representing. I'm not gonna hold you down this long either. By the way, uh, representing we are we are. Uh, crucifying ourself our our former self is dying and then we are raised to do life now when they come up out of the water I just want us to be the biggest cheerleaders that we can be let's rejoice with those when they come out of the water can we do that good okay great Well, if it's your first time, again, we say welcome to you. Welcome to our church, Calvary, where it's our mission to love God, love people, and change the world. Thank you for those that are joining online through YouTube, Facebook, or our podcast. Thank you for joining us as well. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord, and we are in the midst of a series called The Gospel According to Matthew, The Gospel According to Matthew. Of course, Matthew is one of Jesus's 12 disciples who wrote for us an eyewitness account of the life and teachings of Jesus. And in fact, just a few weeks ago, you'll remember that Jesus's cousin, John the Baptizer, baptized Jesus. How cool is that? So we're going to follow Jesus's example here in just a few minutes. Um, But we've been in chapter four the last couple of weeks. And today, we're gonna pick it up in in, uh, verse 12 here in just a moment, so if you brought your Bibles, you can turn now to Matthew chapter four. We're gonna pick it up at verse 12. But for context, verse 12 does not happen immediately after verse 11. Okay, Jesus, remember, had been led by the Spirit to the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. Um, And then, so we transition from the wilderness temptation experience to now verse 12. But this was not an immediate uh, scene change. In fact, we actually jumped forward about a year between verse 11 and verse 12. About a year. How do we know that? Well, we can read the us, other gospel accounts, uh, Luke and Mark and John. In fact, specifically, John lists some events that happens between verse 11 and 12. Events like the wedding at Cana. Perhaps you remember that story. If not, that was the very first miracle that Jesus performed, at least that's, that's recorded in the Bible, where he turned water into wine at this, at this wedding. Also, uh, before, between verses 11 and 12, we see the first time that Jesus goes to the temple and he clears the house. He's so mad that they have turned the father's house into this secular marketplace that he drives the money changers out. That happens. The the exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3, that happens between verse 11 and 12 and and Nicodemus was of course a very well renowned rabbi and he was kind of had this battle going on in his mind man i really think this could be the messiah and so he had this dialogue with Jesus and Jesus said you've got to be born again and of course Nicodemus well how can a man enter his mom's womb for a second time he's like no 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 not a physical birth but a but a spiritual birth and of course John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he was talking to Nicodemus all of that stuff happens in that year between verse 11 and verse 12. So with all of that in mind, we're going to pick it up. Matthew chapter 4, here's verse 12 and 13. Let's read together. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, John, by the way, his cousin, John the baptizer, he was in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. So Jesus here, according to Matthew, learned that his cousin John had been put in prison by Herod. And learning this information, he went to the region of Galilee and based his ministry out of a town called Capernaum. Now, we know that Jesus was from Nazareth. Jesus was from Nazareth originally. But because of familiarity, he could not do much in his hometown. You know, his hometown family and friends weren't receiving his message very well. So that, combined with the fact that his cousin John has been imprisoned, uh, caused Jesus to relocate his ministry base to Capernaum. See, Herod tried to shut down the spreading of the gospel by throwing John in prison. And what happens? Jesus himself comes to the region of Galilee and starts spreading the good news. See, evil might try to silence your voice. There are Herods, there are possibly even government officials that may try to silence the gospel, but it can't prevent the proclamation of the word of God. Okay, the enemy thinks that he can shut down the church, he can shut down the message of the gospel, but his plans always backfire. Okay, the censorship and persecution only propels the gospel to be advanced all the more. Jesus himself said, okay, he's in prison, that's all right, I'll move to Galilee and I'll start proclaiming the good news. So Jesus moved his headquarters to Galilee, not just because it was a good location, but because... It also fulfilled prophecy. Check this out. The next verse, uh, Matthew 4, verse 13. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. By the way, those, uh, those big words there, those are tribes of Israel. Okay? Centuries earlier when the children of Israel moved into the promised land, they divided it up in 12 regions. Okay? The 12 tribes of Israel, Zebulun and Naphtali, were two of those uh, tribes of Israel. You know, there was Judah and Benjamin and all of that as well. So he, they, he, they moved. he moved to Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Here's what the prophet Isaiah prophesied centuries earlier. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So Matthew has been showing us all throughout his gospel account, he's been showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of so many scriptures and prophecies. In fact, he he is so detailed that he shows this kind of obscure passage in Isaiah that that even Jesus' travel fulfilled God's divine plan. Centuries earlier in Isaiah, he prophesied exactly what Matthew writes here. There were going to be people living in darkness in the region of Galilee, desperate for the light, desperate for good news, desperate for salvation. Now, at Jesus' time, Galilee was a place where both Jews and Gentiles lived. But rewind centuries earlier, when Isaiah wrote this passage, Gentiles didn't even live there. So he had the divine foresight given to him by God himself that, hey, there's no Gentiles living, but in, in Jesus' time, there will be. And Jesus came for both Jews and Gentile. Both Jews and Gentiles were needing the ministry of Jesus. And I think it's pretty cool, if you think about it, that Jesus chose to base his ministry out of the region of Galilee, Where there were Jews and Gentiles, this had been a land that was oppressed by darkness for so long, for for generations. Now, he could have based his ministry out of Jerusalem. That would have made sense. I mean, if you don't know, Jerusalem was where the temple was, the big temple. Now, there were synagogues all throughout Israel, but the temple, that was in Jerusalem. The religious elite The religious leaders, they were in Jerusalem, so it kind of makes sense. Man, Jesus should base his ministry out of Jerusalem, but no. He took the message of the gospel to ordinary people like you and me. He went to the outskirts where, where the religious elite, they didn't give them a thought. They didn't care about them, but Jesus did. Jesus took his ministry to the region of Galilee. He took the good news of hope and light to the people who needed it most. So he based his ministry out of the region of Galilee where Jews and Gentiles were wandering around in darkness. They were living in a deep state of darkness for generations. There was this cloud of oppression and hopelessness. But now their waiting is over because the light has dawned. Isn't that good news, everybody? The light has dawned. In fact, can we just say that together? The light has dawned. If you're online, say that with us. The light has dawned. Now, before Jesus came, we all were surrounded by a cloud of darkness and death. Now, that might sound dramatic and overstated, and you may not have even realized it, but we were surrounded by this cloud of oppression and hopelessness and death and darkness, and before Jesus came, we couldn't see because the light had not yet dawned. We didn't even know how dark our lives was until the light of Jesus came and showed us the way. See, when the light dawns, you realize that all that stuff before, that, that earlier man or woman that we lived like before, all that stuff is just folly. All that stuff is temporary. We were living for the selfish purpose. We were living for temporary reasons. But now, thanks to Jesus, the light has dawned. Once I was blind, now I see. Once I was lost, but now I'm found because the light of Jesus has dawned. So we need to start living, not as children of the darkness, but children of the light. That is our identity now. We are children of the light. Today as we celebrate baptisms, the light has come into people's lives and has transformed them. These people that are about to be baptized, they were walking around with a cloud of hopelessness and darkness, but they have seen a great light and Jesus is the light. So, what did, what did the light, what did Jesus come to proclaim? Well, let's pick it up in the next verse. Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus preached, repent. Now, if you've been with us for, for this series, this probably sounds familiar, doesn't it? If you remember... Uh, earlier chapters, chapter uh, three, I believe it was, his cousin, John the Baptist. What was the first word of his message? Repent. Repent. So Jesus actually was, was spreading the same message that his cousin John spread. Hey, turn away from sin. You're going this way, headed towards destruction. It's time to repent, do 180 degrees, go a new direction. It's time to start living for Jesus. Reject the life of sin and selfishness and embrace the life that Jesus brings. Now, along with this message of repentance, Jesus also ministered to people. We're going to read more about that next week when we pick it up in verse 23. But some churches and some certain Christians have gotten a bad rap because what they are known for is shouting from a distance, hey, you over there, repent. Repent, but yet giving no effort to get involved in their lives. They just shout from the outskirts. They shout from their church buildings. Hey, you sinners over there, you need to repent. Not building any relationship, not helping the community, not ministering to the poor and the homeless and the hungry. Jesus preached, repent, and he starts healing and ministering and casting out demons and all of that stuff. His message of repentance was accompanied by acts of love and kindness. Some Christians only preach repentance with no mention of helping the poor and feeding the hungry and adding value to people at all. They just angrily shout from a distance. Now now some, on the other hand, They are only involved in the community. They they do good things. They get involved. They they help the homeless shelter. They they, uh, hang out with people who don't know Jesus quite yet, but they neglect to tell them about Jesus. They forget to mention the importance of turning from their sinful way and turning toward Jesus. See, social justice without spiritual justice does a disservice. Jesus called people to repentance and cared for them. Jesus preached, hey, repent, and by the way, I wanna go to your house and spend some time with you. He preached repentance and ministered to them and healed them. It's not one or the other. It's both and. It's important to care for people and help the poor, but we cannot neglect their eternal destination. If we don't offer people heaven, we only give them temporary help, okay? It's, it's both and. Jesus is what makes all the difference. We have the cure. We have the answer. Why would we keep it to ourselves? It's Jesus. So Jesus called people to repentance. He ministered and healed them. Well, Again, we'll read more about that next week. And then he called them to follow him. He called them to follow him. In fact, let's read an account of Jesus calling some of his disciples. We'll pick it up at the next verse, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Okay, this was their livelihood. This is what they did for a living. This is what Jesus then said as they're casting their nets. Come, follow me, Jesus said Now, up until this point, there's no indication that any of these four men have met Jesus. Scripture does not record any sort of conversation between Jesus and Simon Peter or Andrew or James or John, so we don't have record of there being any communication before this time, and and Jesus meets them, happens upon them, casting their net, and says, hey, guys, come follow me. Isn't that interesting? I mean, can you imagine that? Someone you've never had a conversation with shows up to your house, shows up to your job, wherever you might be, and said, hey, why don't you stop what you're doing and come follow me? (laughs) Isn't that interesting? But of course we know this wasn't just anyone, was it? This was Jesus. And Matthew has been making the claim for Jesus. Remember, he's told us about his genealogy. This Jesus is the son of Abraham, is the son of David. This Jesus is from a kingly line. This Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He's the promised one, the fully human one and the fully divine one. This Jesus is the one that magi came for years. They traveled from the east to come see him whose birth, this Jesus' birth, was the culmination of generations of prophecy. Jesus, the perfect one, the sinless one, the Messiah. That is who is asking these men to drop their nets and follow him. See, when Jesus asks you to follow him, you just drop your nets and you follow. See, Jesus is far more worthy than casual association and occasional church attendance. He's worthy of supreme adoration and total abandonment, complete devotion. This is who is inviting you and me to follow him. People who profess to be Christians but don't look like Jesus are only fooling themselves. Following Jesus is more than praying a prayer or filling out a connection card, which, by the way, we do that here. That's your first step because we want to help you on your spiritual journey. That is part of it. But it's more than that. It's more than just saying a prayer and filling out a form. Truly following Jesus means that we begin to look like the one that we follow, so imagine for, uh, imagine for a moment that we're in our, one of our weekly Sunday morning services, and uh, Pastor Sean and the team have done a great job leading us in worship and to the presence of the Lord, and we've prayed together, and then it's time for me to come out and present the message, but yet I'm not here, and it's kind of awkward. Like, isn't he, isn't he supposed to be there? The stage is empty. It's quiet. It's starting to get awkward here, and a few minutes passes by, and then I finally come huffing and puffing, finally getting to the podium, and say, I am I am so sorry I'm late, guys. I apologize. I just had an encounter with an 18-wheeler. In fact, I was on my way here. I was driving uh, Highway 15. I was heading north, and an 18-wheeler crossed the median, and bam, hit me head on. But hey, thank God I made it. Now, you probably wouldn't buy that story for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons you wouldn't buy that story is because when you've had an encounter with an 18-wheeler, you look a little different, don't you? You look different, okay? How much more, when we have an encounter with the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-perfect, one true Messiah, when we have an encounter with Jesus, We look different. I don't know if you can tell online, but this side of the auditorium is just fired up right now. It's pretty awesome. You're doing good too. I think they just had a bonus cup of coffee though. I love it. When you follow Jesus, everything changes. It's not possible to look the same when you encounter and follow Jesus. In fact, remember last week, as part of our message, we talked about identity. When we choose to follow Jesus, we identify as being made new in Jesus, right? The old person is gone, the new has come. So we don't walk like we used to walk. We don't talk like we used to talk. We don't look like we used to look. We don't think like we used to think. We don't give like we used to give. We don't live like like we used to live. We look different because we have been made new. And these disciples, once they started following Jesus, they would never be the same again. They were all in for Jesus. They left their safety. They left their security. They left their fisherman's net. They left their jobs because following Jesus meant that they were all in. Now... If you haven't seen the series yet, The Chosen, I encourage you to do that. You can find it on a number of platforms. Uh, They have their own app. If you have a smartphone, if not, you can, I think it's on YouTube. Um, That might be even coming out on DVD. I really encourage you uh, to watch The Chosen. It really makes the gospel come alive. And they did an incredible job capturing this moment When Jesus called these four men that we just read about. The moment uh, of Jesus calling Peter and Andrew and James and John. So I want us for the next couple of minutes to take a look at this scene together.
1: The boat, it's still get out. My brother and the baptizer, you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am, the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, how sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want for me? Anything you ask, I will do.
2: Follow me. I will.
0: Rabbi. You as well. Yes, you, James and John. Come, follow me.
2: Take the fish into market and settle up Simon's death. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? (laughs) We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will
1: I say when you miss supper? (laughs) Go, now.
0: Mm. Isn't that powerful? Man. I've seen that so many times, it still is so emotional. that God would choose these ordinary fishermen, regular people like you and me. And I wonder, why would these men leave their livelihood behind? Why would they walk away from it all? What is it about Jesus that would cause them to leave what they were doing and follow Him? Well. I want to give you a little bit of context to understand a little more. Every parent wanted to make sure their young Jewish boy, Jewish child uh, understood the law, understood the Torah. That's the first five books of the Old Testament, by the way, that Moses wrote. And uh, you couldn't be a follower of Jehovah, of God, if you were ignorant of the Scripture. So every child, regardless of income level, around the age of five, their, their parent would bring them to the tabernacle, to the, to the temple for education, where they would meet the rabbi and they would, together they would memorize the scripture, many times literally memorizing the entire Torah, those first five books of the Bible. So they would be there from age five till about 10. Now, around the age of 10, some of them would would uh, dropouts—the wrong word—but they would leave. They would leave the rabbi, and they would go pick up uh, a skill. They would pick up a trade, perhaps uh, carpentry or maybe masonry. Or we just saw the fishermen. They would pick up. Uh, they would pick up a trade, and so uh, at the age of ten, some of them would go, would go on. Now, some would stay and further their education with a rabbi. So they would meet for maybe another four or five years where they would get an even stronger spiritual formation that would last them for a lifetime. But then around the age of 14 or 15, many of these people too would leave and then would go follow, usually after their father's trade as well. That would help them make a living for the rest of their life. But those who had a special passion for learning, those who had a special aptitude, the best of the best students. Even after the age of 15, they would stick it out and they would go seek out a rabbi. Now back then, rabbis were very, very notable. They would have been very well known in the community, an esteemed figure in the towns and the communities around them. And the rabbi would then test the young student to make sure that they had the ability to learn and and to grow because they would represent the rabbi. The rabbi's reputation was on the line. So the rabbi was very selective on who he chose. The rabbi didn't choose very many people at all. He chose only an elite few, those that he deemed was the best of the best. And when the rabbi made his decision, guess what he would tell his students? Come, follow me. This, of course, would have been a, a high honor that would have been met with such jubilation and excitement. Yes, I get to follow this esteemed rabbi. Well, men like we just saw, Simon Peter and Andrew, James and John, these are just ordinary guys they didn't make the cut. There wasn't a single rabbi around that, were gonna, that was gonna choose them to follow him. So imagine these fishermen, ordinary guys, regular people, and then not just any rabbi, but the long-awaited Messiah comes and invites them to follow him. Jesus was saying Guess what, boys? You've made the cut. Guess what, guys? I see greatness that others may have overlooked. I see it in you. Come, follow me. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? I mean, imagine Jesus chooses you, comes to your place of employment and, uh, or your house or wherever it might be and says, I've chosen you. Now come and follow me. Well, guess what? I have good news for you. He has chosen you. He has chosen every person in this room and every person watching online. He has chosen you and he invites you. If you are willing to follow me, you've made the cut. Come on, everybody. Isn't that good news? You've been hand selected by Jesus himself. You've made the cut. I love it. It's powerful. We've all made the cut. Hey, right there in your seat, I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Jesus sees worth and value in every single one of you. You may have been overlooked by spiritual leaders in the past. You may have thought that, you know, your, your past disqualifies you. Who am I? I could never be worthy to carry the name Jesus. He invites you to come. Come as you are. Notice Jesus didn't clean him up. Notice he didn't say, hey, go to the synagogue, get cleaned up, none of that. He just said, drop your nets, come follow me. Maybe you're in that place today. You've happened upon Calvary here, driving by the last few weeks, and you finally came to, to walk in these doors. You came at a great moment. Jesus has chosen you. You are one of the chosen. And if you want to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, if you want to accept his invitation where he says, come and follow me, I'm just going to ask you right there in your seat. No one's looking around. Would you lift your hand and hold it there for a few moments? Just hold your hand. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, I want to follow him. Thank you, sir. Yes. Amen. Thank you, young person. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we're gonna pray a prayer in just a moment. Before we do that, maybe you have felt like, you know, I, I, I know Jesus. I'm a fan of Jesus, but I've kind of been a fan from a distance. And if I were honest with myself, I really don't look like Jesus. Kind of like when I told the story of having an encounter with an 18-wheeler. You haven't had that encounter with Jesus where you're starting to look like him. You still kind of look like the same old person. You've been a, a fan of Jesus from a distance, but you're ready to go all in with Jesus. You're ready to start looking more like Jesus. If that's you, can you raise your hand too? Just around the room. You know him, you're a fan of him, but you're ready to go deeper. I see a couple of hands. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Hey, it's time to stop living for people's approval and start living for God's approval. And so right now, I just want to invite all of us to reconnect with the Lord, renew our commitment to Jesus Christ. In fact, if we could all pray this prayer out loud, every single one of us, just say this, everybody out loud, Lord Jesus. I recognize I'm a sinner. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you, Lord, that you have chosen me. And today I accept your invitation to follow you. Lord, I want to look like you. I want to think like you. I want to act like you. I want to live like you. So from this day forward, I will live for you. I will follow you. I have decided to follow Jesus. Amen, everybody? Amen. Praise God. Hey, I'm going to invite you to stand now. And uh, this is, we're going to kind of go into a great moment here. By the way, if you just said yesterday, actually, you can sit for a moment. I'm so sorry. I prematurely asked you to stand. She's going to ask you to stand in just a moment okay? But if you said yes to Jesus or recommitted your life to Jesus, we want to help you on your next step. Fill out that connection card, and we want to get a Bible in your hands and help you on your spiritual journey. Babe, what's up?
2: So exciting. It's nothing better than seeing people say yes to Jesus. Do you agree with that? Amen. And we've got a bunch of people today, so we've got, I think, about close to 10 in this service, and then about 24 more in the next service, people who have said yes to Jesus, given their hearts to Jesus. You know, Scripture says, repent and be baptized. And so it's a command of Jesus. For, for those of us who have asked Jesus to be Lord of our life, our next step is water baptism. And so we're going to do that today. If you're in this room, I want to give you a moment just right now. If you have said yes to Jesus, and you're like, I want to I do this right now. You're totally welcome to. So if that is you, just slip out the back and come around. Pastor Wes, will you wave to us, Pastor Wes? He's right here. And he'll meet with you real quick, get you all settled. So if that's you, go ahead and slip out. But I wanted to introduce to you, come here, y'all. It takes a lot of courage to do this, what they're about to do right now. And these are three of the people who are being baptized today. Yes. And they're just going to share with you briefly what God has done in their life. So share with us your name.
1: I'm uh, Graysa? Yeah.
2: What has Jesus done for you?
1: Um, Well, before I met him, I was in a really dark place. And he, he took me by the hand. He came and he took me by the hand and he led me out of that place. And he's still leading me out of that place to this day. And he can do the same thing for you. And I felt like before I met him, I felt like. I felt like he didn't understand me. Like there was no way he could ever understand me. But the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty-five, 35, I think, Jesus wept. So Jesus feels what we feel. He feels all of our pain, all of our joy in the good times and the bad times. And Jesus, he knows what we're feeling and he knows what we're going through. And he just wants us to accept him and accept the love that he's giving us for free and the support that he gives us for free.
2: So beautiful. And we've just seen just love and joy come over you since you made this decision to follow Jesus. Your life's been changed, right? And so just tell us real quick, why are you being baptized today?
1: Because I just want the world to know that I'm following Jesus. I'm giving my life to him. And I want everybody to know. (laughs)
2: This is Jordan. Jordan, we've just seen God do such incredible things in your life in this last year. We're so proud of you. You've got a lot of friends in here in this place today cheering you on. So tell us, what has Jesus done for you?
0: He's got me out of the darkness for sure, and he's definitely changed my life. I'm grateful for that. And, yeah, I'm getting baptized today because I'm just ready to surrender it all to him. Just live for him and change and be new.
2: This is Sharon. Many of you probably know Sharon. Sharon serves so faithfully in our church, and it's just been so beautiful to see what God has done in your life. Tell us a little bit what Jesus has done for you.
3: Jesus has done everything for me. He died for me so that I can live. Um, and I, I said I wasn't going to do this. I'm a little. I get emotional all the time. Okay, but. Just thinking about where he has brought me from, from. Um, I started my walk with Jesus in 2001, and I've gone through a lot since then. So, I made a decision through the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit who guided me to do this on this day. I felt like all of the things that I went through, there was some residue from my past still there even though I got baptized years ago I felt like there was some residue from the hurt from the pain of old things so I decided this morning to become anew in him and walk in him with love for Jesus
2: that's awesome That's awesome. This is, you know, this is evidence of life's changed. And these are people and uh, lots over here who have said yes to Jesus. And so we want to cheer them on. You know, this is the greatest thing. This is what it's about. Like this is is absolutely what it's about, watching people step into faith, saying yes to Jesus, letting Jesus change them. And so our prayer for you is that their stories of, of life change will impact you and build your faith, and breathe hope in you, that we once were lost, and now we're found, we're made new in Jesus, so we're going to celebrate, I actually invite you, if you would just stand up, this is a time of celebration, you guys can go ahead and get ready, you can head on down there, and they're going to baptize, it's going to be on the screen, so you can watch, let's worship, and let's celebrate, so when they come out of that water, let's cheer them on, all right, awesome.